Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Spurs Cast with your host, Paul Garcia. And welcome back to another episode of the Spurs Cast. In today's episode, I'll be joined by Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. We'll discuss the Spurs at the All-Star break and the Trey Young rumor. Let's go ahead and jump right into this episode with Colin. Colin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, really excited that we're coming back from the All-Star break. This is like the stretch time of year. It's also the time of year where I feel like historically bad teams have gotten a good amount of wins and it makes people think, oh, maybe they weren't as bad as we thought. So, you know, hopefully we have more competitive games to watch throughout the rest of the year. But, um, you know, I'm really excited. I mean. This isn't Spurs specific. I'm so excited about the playoffs this year. Like there's so many good teams and so much of that. So I'm excited that we're entering the stretch run of the NBA. Yeah. And one of the things that's actually peaking my interest, I actually looked up the date when it starts is uh, the March Madness tournament for college, just because mm-hmm. I know the Spurs could potentially have two lottery picks here if they get the Raptors pick. And so that's actually something that I do want to kind of watch a little bit more of is, is kind of getting a little feel for some of the prospects. Because I did watch a bit more college basketball last year, just because we didn't know for sure if the Spurs would get the number one pick. So I kind of wanted to have have, have a, just a little bit of knowledge on some of the other players in that draft. And so uh, yeah, that's definitely something I'm going to tune into. But I, I do want to begin first, Colin, by kind of diving into the, the Trey Young room in a different kind of avenue here. So what I want to first begin with is um, clarifying a contract detail that I that I had an error on in the last Spurs cast episode. So basically a week ago, I had said that um, that Zach Collins couldn't be traded for uh, for a whole year up until like October 22nd, 2024. And the reason why I had said that is because I had read a, a, a an article by Bobby Marks of ESPN um, where he had said something about Zach couldn't be traded only at this deadline. So when I went back and reread that, that article from Bobby, it, he did say only at this trade deadline. So he didn't actually clarify that it's up to years. So that was, that was my fault. And then as I read the CBA, you know, there's all these different restrictions and everything. I had seen something about if a contract, a veteran extension contract happens, the player can be traded for a year. Well, then um, Ty Yeager, who writes for, uh, I think it's for Air Alamo, he kind of just threw, uh, asked me, he goes, are you sure that's correct? And then he sent me some some information from um, from Spotrack, who's, you know, very, very, um you know, um, they're usually really good with their knowledge and, and their contract details. And so sure enough, I went back and reread and yes, Zach can be traded uh, after six months of signing his, um, his, uh, his contract extension. So basically that means that as of April 22nd, this year, 2024, then Zach can be moved uh, in a trade deal. So you, you, the Spurs don't have to wait to uh, to to, to um, October. And that what that does, though, if you can exclude Zach's deal in a potential Trey Young kind of deal, that does open a little bit more doors than just having to work with only Kelton's salary and maybe Devontae Grams as the only two salaries. So uh, the way Zach's contract works is that we know that if he's traded before July 1st, which is this this current CBA year, 
his contract is $7.7 million. If he gets traded after July 1st, well, then that's when the extension kicks in when his contract's up to $16.7 million, which is, which is a little bit more to work with if you are going to tra- if you look to trade him. Another a detail that I missed out on last week on the episode was that Trey Young does have a 15% trade kicker in his contract if he, if he does get traded. And so that, what that would be for this season, if he gets traded um, by July 1st, that would be about $2.9 million additionally to, to his current contract uh, for this season. And we do know that a player can either waive or reduce that trade kicker, um, you know, as the details, um, as, as the, um, as he gets traded to the team, you know, that he's going to, maybe if, if he really wants to go to that team, well then sure enough, he can, he can work with that, with the, with the current team, the Hawks and figure that out. Again, I'm not saying that, that any of this is going to happen, but this is just some extra details I wanted to note. So now opening that door, let's go back to the Trey, the Trey Young rumor where, where the Spurs reportedly had interest in him um, right before the deadline. And they made some contact with Atlanta. Uh, what this does is, before July first, um, the the uh, the trade deals that I talked about last week could still happen. But so before July first, the Spurs can still uh, put Keldon Johnson and Devontae Graham salaries in, in a contract. I mean, in a, in a trade deal and and work to get to Trey's forty million dollars salary. So that, that that works out. The Spurs can't do like Keldon and Zach or um, or Zach and Graham. That just doesn't work. I've I've looked at it uh, logistically here. The other de- deals, if you look after July one, is. Uh, Keldon at 19 million for, for next season. Zach at 16.7 million for next season works to get Trey at 43 million next season. Uh, but then again, the, the Hawks have to ask that que- answer that question of do they want Zach on a two-year deal? Or the other route is to go um after July 1st without including Keldon, you could do Zach at 16.7 million, guarantee Devontae Graham's contract at 12.6 million. That actually doesn't work, is what I see here. So you have to have Keldon if you're gonna trade him after July 1 in one of these deals basically to make it happen uh with additional salary like like Devontae Graham guaranteed. Um so just real quick, opening this first door, what are your thoughts? You, you don't have to, you know, talk about those exact deals that I'm that I'm just laying out there, which is what are your thoughts about um the Spurs p- potentially having interest in Trey in Trey Young, um, especially there at the, at the deadline. Yeah, so I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, the biggest being, you know, I, I think that Trey Young is an interesting player because he is an all-star level player, but he's one where because his like weaknesses on defense and because some of it comes from his size, it's very visible. You know, it doesn't take like, you know, like the great analysts out there who are going to say, Oh, you know, so-and-so looks good, but they can't back screen worth the dang. And that makes it hard for that. Whatever. Like, you know, anyone can tune in and see, Oh, the, the small guy's getting picked on on defense. So I think that exaggerates some of his weaknesses. Uh, a big, a big thing for me. And it's kind of one of the things I was hoping to kind of touch on with you as well as just the offensive fit to me seems incredible with Wimby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the idea of someone who's an elite law passer, an elite passer in general, an elite pick and roll ball handler, you know, people have brought up his efficiency, but he is self-generating these shots, these looks. It's like DeMar DeRozan, except from outside of the arc, you know, and he's never had someone on his team who can like pull away the defensive attention. He's had shooters who, you know, people have had to stay home on the shooters, but he's never had someone like Wimby who's going to draw the attention of the defense. Um, And I think Wimby, you know, for his part, a lot of finisher, you know, someone who has the best catch radius in the NBA right now, and probably the best since the nineties or maybe ever, um, you know, I just think someone who can bring that attention. I just think that the fit between him and Wimby and then you are able to shuffle down Devin where instead of him having to be the guy who's creating the offensive advantage, he can 
be the one who gets the ball when the offense is already in an advantage state and make good on that, which I think is going to be something where he's going to thrive a lot more in. I think not only that, you know, speaking of the advantage state of a possession, I think the Spurs need a ball handler who can just create an advantage, like put the ball on the court and create an advantage. And they don't have that right now. I think, you know, we are all excited about what Vassell could be, but I think if he ever became that level, it would be a jump that I wouldn't expect. That doesn't mean it can't happen. It's just something I wouldn't pencil in right now. So they need to find that player. And if you try to find that player in the draft, it's going to take two or three years to develop. And if you miss on that, now you're on Wimby year four and, and you're having to still find that player. Like that, that is a scary thought versus going out and getting a player who you know can do that. So, you know, I, I understand some of the people who quibble with the fit here or there, but on the offensive side of the ball, I think it's an incredible fit. And I think that the Spurs could surround him with four high-level defenders and that could mitigate some of it on the other end. So what what do you think about the fit? Yeah, I, I just think, you know, if right now looking at the current All-Stars, he's like the most get, if that happens that, you know, him and Atlanta have a follow-up at the, end of, at the ending of the season, I think he's the most gettable All-Star. And that's why I think that if you are the Spurs and you do have a lot of interest in him, I think you do got to be aggressive. Plus, the teams you're, you're competing with to trade for him, you know, the Spurs can basically, you know, they have more assets than those teams. Uh, if they, if it gets into a bidding war, I think they have, they have like, I, I know the Lakers are one of the teams they have like maybe like three first round picks that they can move around um, those kind of things. And so the Spurs have, you know, young players plus, you know, s- some picks as well. I, I think a fit wise, you know, offensively, like everything you just said there, I think he'd just be incredible. I mean, he's already seen just in the game that the games that he's played against Wemby, he's already seen, Oh wow. They missed him on this read. They missed him on that team. Like he can really see in his head in that one game when he gave those comments that I could find this guy, you know, a lot, a lot of um, quick passes. Like he was already saying that at the, at the end, at the end, of the, at the ending of that last game. Uh, obviously, there's going to be some some issues defensively, but I do think Wemby's that kind of player where he can cover some of your mistakes. And, and yes, you would expect the Spurs to um to to find some some um, defensive players around him to to kind of flank him around. Especially a guy like Sohan, who's just continued to d- develop on the defensive end. He's one of the, he's one of the stellar def- defenders out there right now. So I think I think fit wise, I think I think he'd be a really good fit. Obviously, there's going to be some issues on defense, but offensively, I think it's just gonna it's gonna make up for it. And again, because like you said, you could go the draft route and hope that somebody hits at some point. It's going to, like you said, it's going to take some years for that to happen, but that's no guarantee. Or you could wait, you know, for another star to become available. Maybe like a Luka Doncic. Again, you got to like, you got to still continue to play that waiting game. So again, if the price isn't too, too much um, and the Spurs are really eager and, and again, Atlanta's ready to move on. I think that th- this is a good move. If the Spurs did um, want to take that opportunity to go after, after Trey Young. Um for this next part of this conversation, I do want to go to one of your tweets from Tuesday, and I kind of just want to get your the reaction you got from from fans that that reacted to you on your on your Twitter, um, and then kind of just give me your, if you want to get, uh, expound some more on on this tweet. So on Tuesday, Colin tweeted this. He put and I'll put it on the screen for those of you that watch visually. Today's hard pill to, pill to swallow. If the Spurs were to trade for Trey Young, it will take sending Atlanta all of their picks and swap back matching salary and probably another first round pick or two. That's been the price, the prices of this level of trade for the past five years or so. So what were, what were some of the reactions you got back from that, from that tweet? Yeah. So for me personally, like making fake trades has always been hard because the market is always changing. So Mm -hmm. one area where I kind of walked away feeling like, okay, I think I actually got this one about right was when Hawks fans were coming out and saying, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, <laughs> when when the Hawks fans are like that and the Spurs fans are like, yeah, that sounds good. Like when both fan bases agree that that's kind of fair, you're like, okay, that might be more reasonable, which I was, I was glad about. There were people, it was very interesting because then you also had the two extremes of people who were like, Trey Young isn't worth this. Um, the Spurs own 
their draft. They have more leverage than anyone else has over the Hawks. Um, and then there's other people who are like, that's not a hard pill to swallow. Like I would do that every day of the week. Um, now, when it comes to the Spurs having the Hawks draft, which I do agree gives them leverage, but like this is a competitive team and they have fans and they can't say, hey, two years ago we traded for DeJounte Murray and now we just traded our best player for the exact same return. We basically just swapped Trey Young for DeJounte Murray. Like they can't, they can't do that as a franchise. They can't do that to their fans. <laughs> um, and it's just not... Like, look at the Rudy Gobert deal. You know, the amount of picks that went out in that. The Donovan Mitchell deal. The the, I mean, there's been so many of these kinds of trades. I mean, even um, not the one to Boston that happened recently, but the Drew Holiday to Milwaukee in the first place deal. I think it just is the price of doing business. And yes, the most important, if, if the Hawks are going to pivot, the most important pick to them is going to be their own 2025 first because that's the Cooper flag draft. Yes, and that's the one because yeah. that's also just like your own picks as a rebuilding team, your own picks are the most valuable ones. But I, I just I just don't see how you get an all-star for two picks in a swap. Like that's just not that's not how it's been at all recently. And I know that there's not a whole lot of teams out there bidding for him right now. But you know, the example I keep going back to is Oh, it's always going to be Miami. It's always going to be Miami with Dame. Like Dame's going to get Miami. Um, they're just playing hardball. They have their offer. They're not going to budge on it, but Portland's going to have to have a come to the light moment. They're going to trade Dame to Miami because Miami is the only team that has this good of an offer. And then they don't, they trade him to Milwaukee, you know? And we, we know the two teams right now that have been mentioned being the Lakers and the Spurs and the Spurs can certainly beat the Lakers offer, but you know, like Kyrie going to the Celtics. I don't ever remember that being even suggested before Kyrie went to the Celtics or uh, Porzingis going to the Mavs. Like a lot of the times these random teams pop up out of nowhere when these big star trades happen. And I, I just feel like, you know, Kawhi, I know Kawhi to the Raptors was talked about a little bit before it happened, but like, you know, there's always like, oh, he's probably going to go to one of these five teams. And then another secret team pops up and that's the team that trades for him. I feel like is a pattern we've seen a whole bunch of times. And I feel like you can't, as the Spurs, take that for granted. You try to get the best deal you can, but if you start playing games, like if the Spurs internally think that Trey Young is a good fit for them, they have to like come right to the conversation. Because if they start playing games with the negotiating, they're going to just like what happened in Miami. Like they're not going to get Trey Young. Um front offices are competitive and they want to get the best return they can. And I think, you know, human nature, if you feel like someone's not giving you a good offer just because they have leverage on you or whatever, like that does affect your willingness to make a deal. So that's kind of where I was on that. Yeah. And another team that we didn't mention that I think is a dark horse is, um, is like, or the Orlando, the Orlando magic. If, you know, they, they end their season in a certain way and then they feel like Paolo and, and Franz are just not enough. And they need like a, you know, a lead ball handler there, uh, in, in a point guard like trade, they can make, you know, they can make an offer and they have a lot of draft assets as well. So yeah, that's an, that's an interesting thought. Um, yeah, that's why I wanted to just for you to kind of explain that a little bit more. So that was very interesting that I found, uh, you tweeted on Tuesday and I, I went to the comments kind of just saw like, yeah, you're right. A lot of Spurs fans were very more, a lot, a lot of them, the majority were supportive of this move. Um, you know, even though you're losing some future draft assets and then like, you're right from the Hawks perspective, they do want something back, you know, at that, the level that they gave up plus a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I was thinking of is you can, the Spurs can trade Atlanta's entire draft back to them and two additional first round picks and the Charlotte pick. So you just say, Oh, it's five picks in a swap. They could still 
in this scenario have a pick in every single upcoming draft. Like uh, they would still have seven picks. Um, in the, I mean, depending on like some of the, like how does a Raptor pick convey or the Chicago pick convey, whatever, you know, there's, there's all these kind of permutations, but they are so stacked on draft capital that they can have four real picks and then a fake Charlotte pick and still have a draft pick in each of the upcoming drafts. So I, I don't think this is a situation that we've seen before where some of these teams completely lose their draft for years and years to come. They could kind of go for a big move like this and still have draft assets in every single year uh, that they have, you know, the next seven years, that's how far out you can trade. Um, they could still have draft assets that far out to make another move or to just pick a player in each draft. So I, I think a lot of the times when we see these Godfather offers, it really cripples the team making them from mm -hmm. ever doing stuff with the draft for the next seven years. And that's just not the case with the Spurs. They can make a big offer and still have a lot of draft flexibility going forward. So that's another reason why I think like you, you can't, if you, if the Spurs want to get this done, they have to, like I said, come with a deal that makes sense for both sides. Um, they can't be stingy and, and they have to understand that, you know, they're not going to roster 11 first round picks over the next seven years. <laughs> You're going to have to move these players at some point or some of these picks rather for players to put around Wimby. Okay. Yeah, no, totally agree there. Um, so let's go to our second topic here and that's um, the Spurs at the all-star break right now. So what I want to do here is I want to kind of go through some of the young players that, that we, we expect to be on the team for, for, year, for one to like uh, multiple years. And I want to just kind of get your expectations on how the player has performed from, from start of the season to, to the all-star break. So, so we have three different rankings here. We have above expectations, we have at expectations, and then we have below expectations. So I'm going to go through the, just kind of their base stats and I'm going to go, I, I'm the list is going mainly on, um, on minutes played. So I'm not going by like best players. So obviously we know Wemby's the best player, but we're not going to start with Wemby. We're going to play by, we're going to go by a minutes per game right now. Uh, that's kind of just easiest way that I, that I put the players in order here. So let's start off first with Devin Vassell. Um, he's averaging 32 minutes a night, 19 points four rebounds, four assists to just one turnover, one steal when you round his numbers, shooting 47% from the floor, 37% from deep, 81% from the free throw line, seven three-point attempts per night, and three free throw attempts. Uh, what is your ranking for Devin Vassell? Above expectations, at expectations, or below expectations? So I, I was looking through these lists of players and trying to get some of this going in my head. I will say one thing for these young players. Uh, I think there's one exception, and I'll mention it when we get there. But... Outside of that, if we say at uh, as expected, uh, for me, you know, we know that young players are going to grow. So if I say, oh, Devin Vassell, which that's my answer for him, it's kind of my expectation level. You know, he's kind of meeting that expectation level, which still means that he's growing. Like you would expect from last year to this year, he would become a better player in certain areas. And I think we've seen that. Uh, but I don't think that that growth has been uh small enough to say oh you know he's playing worse than i expect or like so big that you're like oh my gosh he's way better than i expect i think you know he's he's following that growth curve exactly like you feel like he would and so for me it's as expected okay i i, I went above expectations just because of especially lately like the last two months what we've seen from him is that the fact that he doesn't just rely on his shot you know night tonight uh, we saw in the first few months of the season as we see for the majority of his career he even pop said he's got he's gone up a level in his play where he's 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 learning to if, if 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 he's having a bad first quarter second quarter he's learning to just go downhill get fouled try his best to get fouled a lot of times refs still won't call fouls for him um and and, and taking to the rack a little bit more also trying to find some opportunity for his teammates so that's something an element that i think i've seen more growth from him when he runs a pick and roll mm -hmm. not just you know try to find a teammate or just shooting that mid-range jump 
jumper. He's actually like trying to, to dive in there. And I have seen a little bit more growth than maybe I, I thought I would see. Um, so that's why he's a little bit more on the above expectations from, from, from my rankings here. All right, the next player, Keldon Johnson. 30 minutes per night, 16 points, six rebounds, four assists to two turnovers, one steal, 45% from the floor, 33% from three, 78% from the foul line, five three-point attempts per game, and three free throw attempts. Now, we do note that Keldon was a starter for most of the season, then recently, within the last month, he got moved to the bench. What are your what are your expectations of Keldon right now? So Keldon was the one exception to the, if I say as expected, it still means they're growing. I think, in, and I don't think he's done developing, but I do think we know who Keldon Johnson is as a basketball player now. And I think, um, to me, it's just kind of as expected in the level of like, you know, I we were thinking before the season, he would probably be the one that would come off this bench role. That's eventually where he ended up. You know, he has his nights where, you know, when he really goes off, that puts the Spurs in a really good position. And then some nights where the shot might not be there as much or the drives aren't working the way that you would expect them to. And he's, he's a rotation player who can do damage on the right nights. And on other nights, you don't kind of hear from him quite as much. And uh, that's it's still valuable to have those level of players. But I think we've learned over the last several years that that's kind of the player he is. And, and that's just, to me, what I've seen this season. So I, I would say as expected. Okay, I'm with you there. I have him as expected. Just because for me, it's more he's adapting to a new role that we don't really know how that was going to work. You know, how how Wemby becoming the, the go-to player plus Vassell now getting uh, more usage than him. Um, that was like a weird fit for him. He didn't quite know where he was in the starting lineup on certain nights. And then now off the bench, at least he knows he can be aggressive. Again, his shot is kind of, it looks really good for a few months. And then a few months, it's like right now, it's it's really struggling. But again, he's kind of still been a productive player, still still been that steady hand for them um, most nights, even off the bench in this new role. So again, again more so as expected. I didn't expect him to be, you know, scoring 20 points a game again. I, I did see a, a, um, his scoring fall off a little bit just because they're giving more opportunity to Wemby and Vassell. Next player, Jeremy Sohan. 29 minutes a night, 11 points, six rebounds, four assists to two turnovers, one steal, one block, 44% from the floor, 34% from three. It's tailed off a bit here. 77% shooting from the foul line, three three-point attempts per game, and two free throw attempts per game. So I think if if we were back in the summer and you were telling me what my expectation for Jeremy Sohan in year two was, and then we jump from the summer to the snapshot right now, I would say like, yeah, that tracks from where he was as a rookie, you know, getting better on defense, uh, becoming more aggressive in these spots, like, like where you would expect him to be from year one to year two, like he's following that trajectory. Uh, so it would be almost as expected from that, not in terms of he hasn't grown, but just like, okay, he's becoming the, a better version, a super version of the, what the rookie was, you know, like the defense on Luca, that first possession of the game and all throughout the night, yeah. the first possession of the game, like he is just becoming so good on that end and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of what you would expect to see rookie to sophomore season. But if you asked me after the first two months of the season, when he had the point guard experience yeah. and it totally looked like he lost his edge, he lost his mm -hmm. confidence. For me, it's way above expectations there because, you know, he, he is a player who plays with edge. And when he doesn't have that edge, when he loses that confidence, it, it can be hard for some guys to get it back. It can take a while for them to get it back. And now that we see him playing with that that level of intensity again, um, the fact that he was able to kind of like get back into that so quickly, to me, that was above expectation. So I'm going to go with that strictly because of what the first two months were. <laughs> I think this is where I would have expected him to be in the summer. but you know, with how the season started for him, I was impressed that he was able to turn it around mid season. So strong. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Okay, so I have ad expectations, but in that same light as you were, it's not his fault that they they wanted to experiment and make him the point guard. Again, that really that really hurt him. It wasn't his fault that he got thrown into that role. But the fact that once he got put back into that power forward spot and he's kind of adapted very quickly, um, especially defensively, you know, he's one of those mm-hmm. lockdown go-to defenders for the team. Um, he's really shown that tenacity. Uh, that's where I show I see his um his expectations that it's really um improved his three point shot again it's it's they're leaving him wide open it's like i, I tracked his numbers like 80 percent of his shots are still wide open but again at least he's taking them he's making them at a pretty good clip i know it's kind of tailed off here lately uh and then he finds ways in certain games not all the games and again for him too it's it's a tough adjusting to having you know such as such a Wemby devon kind of centric offense that's that's a little tough for him so there are nights when maybe he has two points four points but then there are other nights where he has 16 points um especially if he can just focus on again again when the opportunity is there trying to get those those points in the paint um the the, the closest shot to the rim because then a lot of times he likes to do that post up um that that's that's that, that can become an issue uh so again i think for me it's more so at expectation i'm not gonna say he's below because again that wasn't his fault that he got thrown into that really frustrating role for him at the beginning of the season but he's adapted well um since going back into being the starting power forward for the team all right, that's this next player is probably the very easiest the, the easiest answer uh victor Wembanyama, 28 minutes 21 points 10 rebounds three assists to four turnovers one steal Three blocks to lead the NBA. It's actually 3.4 blocks per game. 47% shooting. 32% shooting from three, though it's tailed up in the last month. 81% from the foul line. Five three-point attempts and five free throw attempts. What are your, what are your expectations of Wemby? Ab- above expectations. You know, I, I thought, you know, he was going to come in being an elite, high-level defender, but the scoring would take a little bit of time to get adjusted to the NBA. The defense was even better than I've expected so far, and the offense has been way better than I would have expected. You know, and the fact that he took a mid-season rookie jump, because normally it's the opposite. It's the other way. Um, I do think that the minutes restriction actually helped him in that way, uh, mm-hmm. but but it happened. It still happened where he had this mid-season rookie jump, and normally it's the rookie wall. You know, people talk about the rookie wall because his stats weren't as great, but it's still like, but look at what he's like. He's still so impactful every single night. And um, I think Ben Taylor of Thinking Basketball said it best. He's an all-star player right now. He wasn't an all-star this season because he didn't play that way all season long. And the Spurs have the record that they have. Um, but the way, the like where he is after he took that leap, he is like an all-star level player today. And I, that that is above expectation. For a, a pretty, I, I knew that he was going to become that very quickly. I just didn't think by february 21st <laughs> yeah no for me this is what i said this is this is the easiest answer on this list um Wemby's above expectations you know the fact that this is his floor 21 points 10 rebounds right now um again the, the, the one negative is probably the, the turnovers but again he's young he's his first time playing in a, in a whole new league you know he's only 19 or 20 years old but he started at 19 years old so of course you expect those turnovers he's going to get better see as he learns um you know where, where, where defense are swiping at him where coach pop and shows him on film where, where not to dribble and things like that and and again leading the league already in blocks and honestly i think if he played in the east he would probably be an all-star right now like because like as they were now oh, yeah. making as they were making those announcements um on the all-star game you know they were doing the, the pre-game kind of thing i was like listening to the the, the players and uh, for the easter conference this player and this player and i was like man Wemby's like better than like four or five like he could have easily made this this team quickly if he was in the east just the west as we talked about was is just such a competitive conference but yeah for me above expectations by far 
Next player, Malachi Branham, 20, 20 minutes per night, eight points, two rebounds, two assists to one turnover, 43% shooting from the floor, 31% shooting from three, 93% from the free throw line, three three-point attempts per night, and one free throw attempt per night, which is like basically like 0.5. So uh, what, is, what, what are your expectations of Branham? So I'm going to say below expectations. Uh, we have time to turn it around. I think, you know, this is a big test for a player. When they went out of the rotation, the Spurs traded uh, Doug McDermott. He's back in the rotation. Like I said, this is the final stretch. This is when teams sometimes take their foot off the gas and the Spurs can catch them by surprise. But, you know, I think this is a player who came into the rotation as a rookie, which isn't very common for the Spurs team. And I understand that they were like really, really tanking last year. But, you know, this is a player who coming out of college, we thought like that three level of scorer who, you know, if you give him the ball in advantageous situations, he's going to be able to score it for you. And I think one thing that really stands out to me is that 31% from three and three attempts per game. You know, I was thinking, you know, college three-point line versus the NBA three-point line, that's a little different. It's going to take him a little bit of time to get acclimated to it. I know he loves that mid-range shot, but I was, I was like I said, the, the expectation and the hope for me was that he would become that three-level scorer. And um, the three just hasn't been there. And I think that that really has to be there at a certain level for defenses to respect him enough where he's creating gravity on the floor because he isn't doing that on the other end. He's not, and again, there's time for all of this, but as a sophomore in the league right now, he's just not a plus defender. So I, I think that he has a chance by the end of the season to get back on track, but right now I would say below. Okay, I'm with you there too. I, I haven't below expectations. I mean, we saw it with with just the fact that Blake Wesley took that that backup point um point guard role from him before you know Doug got traded. Now he has been playing a little bit better in the last two games, Malachi. But I think that he needs to have a strong um, ending to the season because if not, I think we could see a player, a younger player like CD Soko, um, come up from the G League and get some minutes in these final 30 games uh, to end the season. And for me, um, like you said, it's the fact that he still you would think of him as as a really good shooter just because of his form and everything like that. But he just doesn't. He's shooting 31 percent from from three. His wide open numbers are a little bit better um and then also like in the pick and roll i, I thought for sure he'd be like a, that kind of player that's just like quickly like if the defense is back off him it's just it's just automatic that mid-ranger and it kind of kind of goes and comes and then if, if he doesn't really drive it as hard to the rim and get there on opportunities as well and then you know passing wise it doesn't really create a lot for others so again for me it's um he's had a below expectation season and i think we, we've seen that just by the proof that pop um actually went to blake wesley ahead of him in the rotation next player um julian champagne 17 minutes a night uh, as a starter in the, at, the, at the three, six points per game, uh, two rebounds, one assist to one turnover, one steal, one block when you round out his numbers, 47% from the floor, 38% from three, 82% from the foul line, three three-point attempts, and one free throw attempt. What are your um, expectations of Champagne? You know, I, I think he is a little bit, um, I'm going to say above expectation, but the reason why is because, like, if we go back to Summer League, and you said, hey, this guy is going to be the Spurs starter for most of the season, you know? And he is a little bit, uh, maybe that is like a high job for kind of where he is skill-wise right yeah. now. But, you know, at the end of the day, like like you said, Pop has been willing to tinker with rotations. Pop has been willing to take guys out of the rotation. And um, he, he has been able to hold on to that starting spot. Um, and I think just coming into the, the season, um, I, I just didn't, I, I don't know. I wasn't expecting him to be that much of a staple in the rotation as he was. Um, I do think, you know, he, 
I think this season has had a lot of up and downs in a lot of places, but I feel like he could very easily, and I do not wish this on him, but become like the Bryn Forbes or the Danny Green or the, that type of player where, mm-hmm. you know, their their value primarily comes from threes. And if they aren't falling, then uh, people can turn on him pretty quickly because it's like, what is he out there for? <laughs> um, but I, I would say above expectation just because coming into the season, like I said, I wasn't expecting him to have as solid of a spot in the rotation as he had. Um, and so the fact that he's been able to maintain that throughout the season, I know part of that is just the roster construction of the Spurs, but you know, Malachi is probably more important to the future of the Spurs and, and pop took him out of the rotation, you know? So, so the fact that he was able to maintain that spot to me just speaks to kind of a surprising level from him that I wasn't expecting, uh, in the summer. Okay, I'm gonna go above expectations as well, only but barely nudging the ad expectations, only because, like you said, I didn't expect him to be a starter at this point. He's obviously um, done something that, that we're, we're probably uh, you know wants him out on the floor. That's why he's been able to keep the job there. Uh, one thing we we know he that that he does is definitely he um he opens up the spacing for Vassell and Wemby. I mean, that's the one reason why he's in the starting lineup is even though he doesn't get many opportunities again, just three three point shot uh, attempts a game. Defenses don't let him take wide open threes. Like it's rare. So like there's always a defender sticking to him um, usually. And of course, you know, there's, there's been some plays on defense too, where he's, where he's, he has a, a block or two in a game, but, but there are times though, when pop doesn't really bring him back in games, like he plays, he'll start the first quarter. Then he doesn't see the time in the rest of the second, the rest of the half. And then same thing for the second half where he plays the third quarter and then doesn't see much time either, either way. So again, um, above expectations, the fact that he earned that role and then and then um more so i feel like he's not really doing much with it right now which again he's he's learning for him too it's a different role where again Vassell and Wemby get a lot of the usage there but but so i, I do i do uh, want to see him be a little bit more aggressive whenever he, he does get the ball at, at different times next player uh blake wesley 13 minutes a night uh four points per game one rebound three assists to one turnover one steal 52 percent shooting 16 percent from three 58 shooting from the foul line one three-point attempt, one free throw attempt. I will note a lot of these numbers are very low because he barely started getting these minutes within like the last 15, um, 12 games, that kind of area. What are your expectations of Blake? I would say um, to me, this is probably the second above expectations, like the highest one behind Wimby, only because, you know, I think we had talked about it on the pod. We talked about it several times throughout the summer, throughout the season, like the, the summer league that he had was there were some moments where you saw the flashes there, but there was also some moments where you saw the difficulties there. And it was like, oof, you know, as a sophomore, you would expect to like run the Mm -hmm. summer league. And then they came into the season. He's a second year guard, someone who the Spurs have an investment in developing uh, at a position where they need players. And he's in Austin. And that, that seemed like, oh, this looks like it might be going sideways. Like they need ball handlers. They need players who play this position. And they, this is a guy that they just used a first round pick on. They have every incentive in the world to make sure that he turns into the player that they're hoping that he can be. And he's not even with the main team right now. Um, and then to go from that to providing, you know, real uh, valuable minutes to the team to play a level of defense. You know, I think the fact that he was willing because that energizer bunny kind of style that he has was getting him in trouble on offense. And I know that it's still not perfect, but the fact that he was able to say, okay, I'm going to shift that and point that towards defense. I'm going to use that energizer Mm -hmm. bunny energy and just fanatic, like frenetic, uh, just pace and all that. And I'm going to put that on the defensive end and like under pop, you're going to play if if that's what you do. So, you know, the still the decision-making all that kind of stuff. I just feel like the speed that he has as he as the game slows down for him, if he continues to play with that uh, 
level of speed and level of urgency, especially on the defensive end. It just, to me, I just wasn't expecting him to come in halfway through the season and start providing really valuable minutes. So I, I would say that to me, that's probably the second highest above expectations behind Wimby. And it's been a, a great surprise for the team. Okay. I'm with you there above expectations, basically everything you just said, especially like, like you said, the, the fact that we saw them at, at summer league, you know, um, didn't play it much in the early in the season uh, defense. Again, that's like the, the easiest way to get minutes for pop is to just play defense and show, you know, put your, your most effort in there. And, and yeah, he's been tenacious on, on different ball handlers. We've seen really good players, you know, have a tough time with him uh, getting the ball across the, the other side of the court. And and that's where it was the easier part for him to take Malachi's minutes. Cause I mean, like, like you mentioned, Malachi's um, defense is, is not quite there yet. And so uh, Blake, that's the one thing that he has. And so obviously offense is still work in progress, but um. Yeah, his his defense is really one of the standout features for for Malachi Branham. I mean, for for Blake Wesley right now. All right, last player amongst the young players, Dominic Barlow, thirteen minutes a night, five points per game, four rebounds, one assist to zero turnovers. When you round out his numbers, one block, forty eight percent shooting from the floor, forty three percent from three, sixty five percent from the free throw line. Uh, when you average out his numbers, about zero three point attempts. So he doesn't really shoot threes and two free throw attempts. Um, what are what are your expectations of Barlow? Um. So. I'm going to say above expectations, and I'm hoping that it's not colored by the fact that I just enjoy watching him play basketball, you know? So it's, I don't know, it's easy for me to maybe get sucked in because I just, the the energy that he plays with and the kind of bounce that he has on both ends of the court, you know, he's going to go after every ball. Um, and I just think, you know, he's young, he has time to develop. I think there are still things he needs to work on, but in my mind, how he gets from where he is now to like a locked in solid rotation player is just experience playing NBA minutes. And the fact that he was an undrafted uh, rookie who ended up uh, being the, Oh man, it was the first rookie. I think that was signed from. Oh, uh, uh, overtime elite. Is that overtime elite? Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, he was in a situation where, you know, he's kind of on the fringes of the roster. He's a two-way player, you know, and and a lot of the times these players can just kind of go quietly. And he hasn't done that. He's he's really stuck around. Um, I'm really hoping that he is able to stick with the team long term because I just feel like the more play he gets, the more comfortable he gets. Uh, you know, biased as someone who likes to watch to analyze the team. Uh, he's a fun player to watch. So He's been above expectations in that regard. You know, you just sometimes don't expect a two-way to have the impact that he's been able to have, um, even if it's not big on the counting stats or whatnot. Again, just like what you we were talking about, about with Blake Wesley, you know, if you have physical tools and you have a motor, you can provide something on defense and you can provide something on the boards and you can provide something. And that that speaks a lot to pop, even if your talent level isn't quite there yet. So I, I'm going to say above expectation for those reasons. Okay. I, I'm with you where I'm above expectations. And, and for me, it's more so, you know, we kind of know what Zach's going to do on both ends of the floor at this point, you know, what his game is and what, what he, what he brings to the team. Whereas, whereas Barlow, he brings he's something new. Like we don't quite know exactly what to do on each end of the floor on different nights. And so it's something always new for me. Like you don't know exactly what you're going to get from him, but, it, but it's been productive what you have seen from him. And that's why pop even mentioned that comment when he, when he, for, um, for the second half of one of the games, when both Zach and um, Dominic were, were both healthy and available, he actually benched Zach and gave Barlow those minutes. And then when he was asked afterward, he's like, well, he's kind of earned them. You know, he's been playing really good basketball. 
basketball for us. And so obviously we see the team is still being very cautious with um, uh, not going over that, that limit of his two way contract days, because even for, for Friday or, or what is it? Thursday at Sacramento, he's going to, he's already out with the G league. So he's not really with the G league team. He's just sitting out because he can't be on the active list for so many games. So they obviously have some plans still to give him some minutes here. Cause they are, they are saving his number of games on a two way contract. Um, and so for the last three players here, let's just kind of talk about the veteran players who have been in the rotation. We don't have to go super, um, super detailed. You can kind of just give me each player's ranking here um, where, where you have their, their season so far. We have Trey Jones, Zach Collins, and Jetty Osmond. What, what are your rankings for those three players? So I will say, I think Jetty was probably above expectations for me only because he was a fringe player in Cleveland. Uh, and I think they just have a lot of young talent, you know? Um, and I think it was only recently that he became kind of fringe on the rotation there. They just have so many players, so many good wings there, but the fact that he was able to come in and acclimate to the Spurs system, which can be hard for new players so well and start being valuable so quickly, that spoke a lot to me. I think that's above expectations in that mm -hmm. regard. But I would say the other two are at expectations. You know, even with this, oh my gosh, when Trey Jones became the point guard, the Spurs started looking. It's like, I, I, I'm I, already kind of high on Trey Jones. And, yeah. you know, I think, um, you know, not quite at that level, but it reminds me of Derek White in the sense that like, to have a steady hand, to have someone who can just like calm the offense down, get the offense set up and execute it well. Um, that's not always the most exciting highlight play thing, but that's really, really important to a team. And that's kind of what I was expecting to from him coming into the season. So I'm not really surprised that that's what he's been producing. And then just like what you said, we know what Zach Collins is on both ends of the court. I would say if, if I'm going to say as expected, but I could see you twisting this and saying with where he was in the preseason, they gave him this contract extension uh, after training camp. And after a couple uh preseason games, they, they really felt like they could play him next to Wimby and that that would work. And then that clearly did not work when the real regular season games came around. So if you were to say under expectations, I think that would be the reason. But I think if you told me in the summer, this is the player that Zach Collins is, it'd be like, yeah, well, that is the player Zach Collins is. And I think, He's done a, a fine job in his role. You know, now he's the backup big. And, um, you know, I, I like his offensive hubbiness <laughs> where he can kind of play off the elbows or just yeah. make the right pass. Um, but, you know, the the three-point shooting has kind of evaded him still. And yeah. uh, the defense, I think, is still, you know, it's, again, not a plus on that end. So I, I think, but I, I would still say his strengths are what his strengths always have been and his weaknesses are kind of what you would expect knowing that Collins, if you've watched him for any amount of time. So I would say as expected on him and Trey and then above expectations for Jetty. Okay. So I, I I'm with you on two of the players and one of the players I do differ. So here, so uh, with you there, uh, Jetty above expectations. I'm really, really been impressive with Spurs and the minutes that he's gotten Trey Jones um, as expected. Again, it wasn't his fault that he got thrown into the backup role to begin the season. Obviously we knew that he'd take off once um, he became the starter and then Zach, I'm going to go below expectations only, only because I think, I think it's a lot more injury later. Cause even pops talked about it. He hasn't got quite back to form. And we, we've noticed in these last few games that he just hasn't, you know, hasn't brought that, that productivity that he was bringing um, even before he got injured. So we know that obviously it didn't work out with him and Victor starting together, but even when he was that backup five before his injury in like, in like late December, early January, he was still being productive there off the bench, really um, using his, his post-ups to, to bury guys um, in the paint and get, get some, some baskets there. Um, still being a really good hub. Like you said, there at like the free throw line area, kind of just um, orchestrating the offense. He's really good at finding Devin Vassell, especially for different kind of back cuts. But then, like you said, defensively, he's kind of, um, it hasn't worked out for him there, but I think the reason why I, I think um, below 
more so is the fact that it, it's the it's that three point shot that evaded him that kind of made him lose that that job next to Wemby as a starter. And that's kind of something he even said when that move happened was that you know we're just not shooting well enough in the starting five um, to, to for for you know for me to be there basically. And so that's something still that's kind of evaded him. And I just feel like. In, in terms of him being a versatile player, he kind of needs that part of his game to be a little bit more versatile out there. If not, it's just very one-dimensional where defenses know he's, he's just going to be at the at the elbow and kind of just orchestrating the offense from there or kind of just trying to go into the paint. But again, they're going to have that, that 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 ability to back off of him, which shrinks the floor for the Spurs on offense. So that's why I would say more so below. But like I said, I think a lot of it is more so due to injury. All right, so yeah, that was just a quick little um, check-in on how the Spurs have done through All-Star break. Again, there's like 30-something games left uh, before the end of the season. Now, our last um, topic here, Colin, let's just spend a few minutes here. Let's just talk, talk about the latest on Marcus Morris Sr. So as of Wednesday afternoon, the Spurs, um, um, they they sent their injury report to the NBA. They haven't actually, I'm looking at my phone here, they haven't even released it themselves. Anyway, on the one they sent to the, um, actually they did. Let me just see what they said real quick as <laughs> I'm reading live here on the air. No, he's not on it either. Um, so the official, oh, you know what? Now not with team. So they clarified it. Okay. Okay. So he's not with team. Um, Marcus Moore Sr. So he's still on the roster, but he's not with team. So again, we do expect him to get waived um um or or you know or bought out before the March uh the March one deadline here. Uh so it would technically have to happen on February 28th. Let's just assume that he does get, end up getting waived within these next few days. What do you I haven't got your thoughts on this? What do you think the Spurs will do with that open roster spot if they do end up waiving Morris like we expect them to? So I, I am it's a little bit difficult for me because I do I do really like the idea of rewarding. Barlow's play and just allowing him to play because now they're kind of like you said they only have so many games that they can have him active in and I think that there's probably second halves where they would say hey like this game isn't going for us let's just try to roll them out of backup center and see what happens but they're restricted because of the two-way status there so I, I think that that would be the most sensical move I think that makes a lot of a lot of sense on that regard and I, I think it would be a good move for them um the Killian Hayes Thing is just it's just interesting because he is a fellow Frenchman of Wimby, and because I do think that he has some tools that he's flashed. It just hasn't worked out for him in Detroit. And sometimes for players, it's really just all about context and environment. Uh, the difficulty there is, you know, with Trey being as good as he has been, and now Blake Wesley's all of a sudden come up. Like, how is he going to get those minutes to like get that yeah. second chance? Um, so I, I would say. I think that converting Barlow's two-way contract to a full NBA contract is what I would expect to happen. And I also think it would be a good move for the Spurs. Okay. I'm with you there. That I think that's what that Barlow's the player that they're going to probably give that roster spot to just because um, even the way that we see them right now, saving his games um, by having him out on, on certain nights, um, is, is like a little bit of a hint there. So I do expect Barlow to get that spot uh, regarding Hayes and even, even like a player like James Booknight. I just, the fact that it's already been now like a week or two since they got waived and nobody's picked them up, you know, I just don't feel like there's like a lot of teams, you know, have interest in in those players. So, um, so that's why I don't feel like um right now it looks like the Spurs are one of those teams that are going to try to 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 sign one of those players uh, if they end up doing waving Marcus Morris. But again, we'll kind of see what happens uh, with Marcus Morris. Um, right now he's still as of Wednesday evening he is still um on the Spurs' roster. All right, thank you to Colin for joining me here on this episode of the Spurs Cast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube and your favorite podcast apps. This episode was written, recorded, and produced by Paul Garcia. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe and have a great day. Spurs. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.